Amen. I don't think I need to follow that. Let's go to lunch. Get out of here. Uh, well, hey, everybody. Uh, my name is Ryan Akers. I am the discipleship pastor here at the Harbor. Uh, and I just want to thank uh, all of you for welcoming my family uh, to this church and to the great state of Texas. All right. So, now, don't ask me what I think of Bucky's because I gave the wrong thoughts on it or something and I got yelled at at Catalyst. But I want to tell you. I was like, it's a great gas station. And like, it's not a gas station. It's more than a gas station. It's a way of life. Well, I want to introduce uh, my family to you. Never have I ever wanted to be this big on a screen, but here it is. Uh, so this is my family. Next to me is my wife, Taylor. We've been married for uh, 22 years. And then uh, on the, the top left there, that is my oldest daughter, Paige. She's uh, 19. She's a junior at college. She goes to uh, Colorado Christian University in Denver, Colorado. And then uh, our lone son, the poor boy, is all alone with all these women. Uh, his name is Kobe. He is 15. And then uh, on the left and right there, the bookends, that is our twins who look nothing alike uh, but they are Brooklyn and Reagan, and they are 12 years old. They don't even have the same birthday because Brooklyn was born at 1159. <laughs> and then Reagan was born like 17 minutes later. So, um, and then our gift that I got on my 41st birthday, Maggie who is uh, two years old, and uh, we've been foster parents for four years, and she actually came to us when she was four months old as our foster child, and we're in the process of adopting her. So hopefully that will be... We took her out of the state of Kansas into Texas. No cops have shown up yet, so I think, I think we're okay. So... Well, for my first message here, I want to share with you one of my favorite passages of Scripture regarding the church and discipleship. So I want to look at Acts chapter 2, Acts chapter 2, and I'm always uh, speaking out of the New Living Translation, just so you know. Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 42, it says, all, not some, you're going to hear, you're going to see this word all a lot, all, not some, the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. And a deep sense of awe came over them all, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had, and they sold their property and possessions. They shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. So in just six verses, we're given what I believe is a picture of God's uh, ideal, most healthy version of his church. And when you look closely, you're going to notice essentially three layers of discipleship are happening here. And the first one is just learning. So that word disciple simply means a student or a learner. And so in the time of Jesus, a disciple would seek after a well-respected rabbi who would then take them under their wing and instruct them in the scriptures. And over time, the disciple would become so connected to his rabbi 
that they would essentially become a, a mere image of them. And in the first verse of this passage, we see that the early church devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. But rather than become this mere image of the apostles, the apostles are wanting them to become a mere image of Jesus. Because Jesus is that final and ultimate teacher that every believer is supposed to follow. So right off the bat, we're told that discipleship has to include learning by both studying the word for ourselves and then learning from other people as well. And that without this practice, we would have no idea what the teachings of Jesus are or, or how to live in a way that actually reflects him. But here's the thing, and this is going to lead to that second layer of discipleship. As a great guru, former Yahoo chief solutions officer Tim Sanders once said, education without application is just entertainment. And learning all about the Bible is awesome, and it's fascinating, and I love it, but it does not mean much if you don't actually do what it says. And in John 14, 23, Jesus says that all who love me will do what I say, and my Father will love them, and we will come and make our home with each of them. Now, you've probably heard it said that love is a verb, and that's because love compels us to take action in a very selfless and sacrificial way. And when that love is for God, then we cannot help but do what he wants us to do. And we don't do that out of fear. We don't do it out of compulsion. We don't do it out of guilt. We do these things as a response to the love that he has shown us through Christ who died on the cross for our sins. And this is what we see happening in Acts. The teachings from the apostles about Jesus have awakened the people to the truth of who Jesus is and what he did. And this awakening then sparks a new and increasing love for Jesus, which then compels them to want to do what Jesus taught them to do. And they do not do this half-heartedly. They are all in on this. And we know that because the word of the word devoted, which in Greek means to persevere, to never grow weary, to never grow tired, but to keep going. And so the early church was not learning and doing just once a week or when it fit in their schedules, but daily. It said daily, they are devoted to studying the teachings of Jesus. Daily, they were building relationships with each other. Daily, they were praying. Daily, they were sharing meals. Daily, they were giving of their time and their possessions and their finances. Daily, they're worshiping in the temple. And again, they're not doing this out of guilt or to get some special reward from God or to earn their salvation or to keep their salvation. This is genuine, repentant, faith-filled love and action. And these are people whose lives have been radically changed by the grace of God, and they're now empowered by the Holy Spirit. And when we truly understand the love God has for us through the price Jesus paid on the cross, man, we cannot help but be driven by a love for him that compels us to want to wanna know him, to have our lives be a reflection of his in every way. And so I don't pray and I don't serve and I don't worship, and I don't sacrifice and I don't learn so that I can be saved. I don't do those things so I can stay saved. Man, I do these things because I am saved and the love of Christ that is in me, it compels me to wanna go live all of my life for Jesus as his disciple in every way. 
But notice there's a third layer to discipleship, and it's not just learning and doing, but it's also sharing. In the very last sentence of that passage, it said, and each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. And this implies that people were taking what they had learned along with hundreds of stories of how God has been moving in their lives, and they are going and they're sharing that with other people. And every day, God is moving through the church to see more and more people believe in Jesus. We cannot be a reflection of Jesus if we aren't willing to actually talk about Jesus, because Jesus didn't come to earth full of grace and truth and stay quiet. And he spent three years traveling, telling thousands about the kingdom of God. And as his disciples, we are expected to go and do the same. That's why Jesus said in the Great Commission, go and make disciples. And 2,000 years later, as Jesus' modern-day disciples, we do not stop at learning and doing. God wants us to go and share the gospel. Go and be disciple-makers. Go and pass on that good news of Jesus and help others live lives that reflect his This passage in Acts, I think, is such just a beautiful example of what discipleship is. It is a lifelong journey of intentional decisions driven by love that transform us into the image of Christ. So much so that learning about him and living like him and telling others about him, man, it becomes all that really matters to us. In other words, discipleship is not just a single program of a church that you can choose to do or not do. Discipleship is a way of life. It is our identity. So I was blessed to attend a Christian high school in my hometown of Enid, Oklahoma. It's called Oklahoma Bible Academy. And, and, and I remember my principal, he's actually called the headmaster, but you know, the headmaster, that sounds so pretentious. But my principal <laughs> saying to us in Bible class one day, He said, I am not a principal. I am a disciple of Christ disguised as a principal. And this might be what I do for a living, but it's not who I am. Before anything else, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. That's my identity. And those words really impacted me as a 16-year-old kid. And And for 30 years, I've done my best with God's help to be his disciple. But man, can I just be honest with you all? And you're saying, no, please lie to us. And um, (laughs) you know this if you've been a Christian for more than a day, but being a follower of Jesus, no matter how much you love him, is really, really, really hard. Because as much as we might love Jesus and desire to live for Jesus, the world continues to pull at us every single day to go in any direction but the one that moves you towards God. And those temptations can feel almost impossible to fight against at times. And we are going to fail many times. And we can end up spending just a lot of time feeling like these complete failures, just saying to ourselves, surely God has to be done with me. And there's there's gotta be only a certain number of sins, certain number of ways I can mess up. And God's just gonna be like, well, he's a lost cause, out. You know, Living a life that honors the Lord, it is not easy, but here's what I love. God knows that being his disciple in a world that hates him is hard, which is why there's one really big thing we need to pay attention to in this passage. Did you notice 
that in everything they did to learn about Jesus and live like Jesus and worship Jesus and tell others about Jesus, they did it together. They did it together. God created the church because it has never been his desire for us to go it alone. And in the beginning, before God even created the world, even he wasn't alone because God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, they already existed. One God in three persons in eternal relationship. He didn't need us because he was already experiencing perfect relationship. He chose to create us out of love. And then when he creates Adam, man, he looks at Adam and he says, man, this is, it is not good for him to be alone. He needs someone at his side who actually knows what they are doing. And so he created woman. <laughs> Amen, ladies. And when Jesus came to earth to start his ministry, he didn't do it alone. He calls his 12 disciples to come alongside him. And when Jesus ascended back into heaven, he didn't say, good luck, you know, like everyone go your separate ways and do your own thing. You know, you got this, guys. No, he creates the church, knowing people will always become like Jesus more quickly when we are growing together in community. Now, the truth is, this isn't really how society in general works today. You know, we don't automatically have this mindset that we're in this together and let's kind of help each other as much as we might have the mindset that says, man, I need to worry about me first. Man, I need to solve my problems on my own. I can't also worry about your problems. And there's some simple reasons that I think people think this way. One of those is pride. And what pride tells us is, I don't need you. And this may be, I think, eh, probably the most common reason people go it alone because we live in a culture that loves to celebrate individual achievement, and we tend to have more of this, hey, pull yourself up by your bootstraps mentality. You know, when our kids hit a certain age, uh, we don't encourage them or even assume that they're going to stay home, which is common in many other cultures. We expect, we hope <laughs> that they move out and start their own independent lives, or you're like me and say, hey, yeah, I want to have my last kid graduate high school when I'm 60 years old, okay? So... <laughs> And so we can be tempted to believe, man, I don't need God, I don't need the church or things, I don't need small groups, man, I can do this myself. And again, that's, that's often coming from this place of pride and from what we have been taught just as people. Now, another reason we might go it alone is fear. And fear says, I don't wanna be rejected by you. And when a group of people like this early church, man, when they're spending so much time together, there's going to be many conversations about what sins you're struggling with, what family issues you're, you're dealing with, your work problems, your money problems, on and on it goes. And the healthy church is gonna be there to encourage and pray and help. That's discipleship. But fear will often stunt discipleship because we believe people will reject us if they really know us. So we don't tell anyone what is actually happening in our lives. Proverbs 29, 25 says that fearing people is a dangerous trap, but trusting the Lord means safety. So I, um, I started going to church when I was about seven years old. And at that age, it kind of felt like uh, everyone at the church was perfect. It seemed like every marriage was strong. This is just my seven-year-old eyes seeing it. Every marriage was strong. Every child behaved. And for a kid who came from a broken home of divorced parents, I remember thinking, man, this Jesus guy, he's pretty cool. Man, look how he helps people get straightened out and, and they have no problems in life. It's awesome. And when I was 13 years old, I became a Christian at youth camp. 
And then when I was 14 years old, I felt God call me into full-time vocational ministry. And it was all amazing. It was exciting. But it didn't take long for me to realize that believing in Jesus didn't mean that my life would become perfect and problem-free like I thought would happen when I was seven. Instead, I learned that people are just really good at hiding their sins and their struggles and their pain. Now, how did I come to realize this truth? Because I started doing it. And on the outside, I portrayed this growing Christian, passionate about Jesus, studying to be a pastor. I was even selected as the best preacher at Oklahoma Wesleyan University my junior year, and I know I peaked early, it's okay. (laughs) But I had everybody fooled, because in reality, I was struggling with a sin that I couldn't overcome, no matter how much I prayed. And I fought it alone, because I feared what people would think if they found out. So through high school and through college and into my early years of marriage, nobody knew. So one day the Lord brought to me James 5, 16. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you might be healed. And the earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. And I hit a breaking point and I knew I couldn't keep this sin a secret any longer and I had to come clean. So I confessed to my pastor Ironically, he was my boss, and double ironically, well, not the really ironic is it was Jeff's dad, so that's kind of weird. But um, now Jeff's my boss. Um, and I confessed to my wife for 10 years, from ages of 15 to 25 years old, I had battled this daily pornography addiction that had just total control of me. And I remember feeling really embarrassed and just was reeling, just waiting for their response, wondering if my marriage is over, am I about to get fired? But instead of judgment or divorce papers, my pastor and my wife saw how broken I was and they chose to show me love and grace. And they came alongside me and they gave me the the counseling and the accountability that I needed so that I could experience real freedom from a sin that had kept me living in fear and isolation for a decade. In other words, man, they discipled me so that I could continue to keep growing into the man that God wanted me to be, and they knew I could be. And for 18 years now, I have lived in freedom from that sin, and God has even, yeah, praise God. And God has even allowed me to help many other men experience freedom that I so desperately needed. Now, that doesn't mean the temptation isn't still there because I'm a, I'm a human, and Satan is still prowling around, but God has given me what I needed to fight against that. And now I openly talk about it, even to a room of strangers without fear, because if it's not pornography for you, it is something else that you are hiding and you are afraid to confess. But I'm here to say that you are in the right place because as perfect as some of us might try to seem on the outside, none of us have it all together. But man, we worship a God who does. And together, church, We can disciple each other. We can find hope and healing through Christ. Now, as good as this church sounds and acts, they had problems. They weren't perfect by any means. But this image of the church, working at its absolute best as an unstoppable force of disciples, accomplishing kingdom-building good in the world, it should still be our heart today because the mission to make disciples hasn't changed. And so together, we need to be worshiping, and we need to be praying, 
and we need to be sharing meals, and we need to be learning, and we need to be working side by side, serving others. Together, we should be confessing our sins to one another, sharing our griefs and our struggles. Together, we need to be going and sharing with the world what Jesus has done. And like this early church, we aren't half-heartedly in this, man. We need to be all in and not just on a few of these things that I really like. I'll take that one and that one and that one, but man, all in, all of it. And we need to have an attitude that says, listen, I need you and you need me. And when you're in pain, I'm in pain. And when you celebrate, I celebrate. And when you need prayer, when you need encouragement, when you need help, when you need to be challenged, man, I'm here for you and I need you to be here for me. And man, when people come to Jesus and baptize, we need to pate. I'll never do that again. <laughs> this, but this is discipleship. Helping each other every single day through whatever means required to become a reflection of Jesus, living our lives for his glory. In other words, restore those who are battered and refuel the weary and return to our lives with Jesus at the center changing the world one life at a time. It's not gonna be perfect because we aren't perfect. And we have an enemy who will do anything and everything to divide us and stifle our spiritual maturity and the mission God has for us. And that's why we cannot accomplish this sort of God-sized vision unless we lean on him, we do it together. It is definitely possible to learn and grow and have powerful times with God alone, and you should, but to become a fully devoted disciple, we need to see our need to be part of the larger body of Christ where we can invest in people and people can invest in us. And this is where outreach and small groups and kids ministry and student ministries and even things we do not think near enough about as being discipleship, like greeting and parking team and prayer team and tech team and all of it is discipleship because all of it are opportunities that we get to reflect Jesus and all of it is done to help reach the same goal, restore and refuel and return. So where do we start if we wanna become a people who reflect Christ like the early church? And it's one word, surrender. And for some here today, that means surrendering your life to Jesus for the very first time. And if you have not repented of your sins, and receive Jesus as your savior, you start here. You don't wait, because as Pastor Jeff just preached through Ecclesiastes, life is short, eternity is long. He died for you, he loves you, he wants to forgive you and have a personal relationship with you, and he doesn't wanna just leave you where you are, he wants to transform your life in ways you can't even imagine. And until you know Jesus as your savior, you have not even begun living but with Christ, you are gonna find new life and purpose. And we have this incredible prayer team that will be over to my right and your left, ready to pray with you and celebrate what God has done in your life this morning. But for others of you, it might start with surrendering that pride or surrendering that fear. And you need to give those over to him and keep giving it over to him every single day for as long as it takes so that he can do the transforming work in you that will make you a devoted follower of Jesus. And then you need to ask him for the courage to go and confess to another believer what is really going on in your life. Don't wait 10 years like I did. Go find someone who loves Jesus, who you trust, and let them help you or find others to help you begin to 
to find that forgiveness and that healing and that freedom that God has for you. Or maybe you're someone who's sitting idly by with a mindset of watching church instead of being the church. So I want you to start by stopping. Stop watching and go be the church by using the gifts that God's given you at your home, at your work, right here with your church family. Everybody is needed. You know, we're not just, we are, well, we are a big church, but no one here is, is just a number. Everyone's needed. If we want to accomplish God's mission together, we need us all working together. Everywhere you look are opportunities to reflect Christ as his disciple, to help others do the same. And church, let me just say again, what an honor it is to be part of the harbor. You know, there's a ton of work to do. And now more than ever, we need each other. I don't have all the answers and I know I'm gonna make mistakes, but man, if we work together, if we keep Jesus as our focus instead of self, nothing in this world is gonna stop us from seeing that vision of restore and refuel and return accomplished way beyond anything we could have ever imagined. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord. We thank you that you challenge us, challenge us with your word. And these simple messages, God, on just these reminders that we're called to something greater than just the mundane things we do in our lives doesn't mean they're not important. It doesn't mean they don't have value. But God, we are called to a greater mission, to be your followers. Challenge us, Lord, in the area of life where we are not emulating Christ and giving you honor. Challenge us, God. Speak that to us. Lord, put people in our path that will be those people who aren't there to judge and condemn, but to love and counsel challenge and guide us to the cross. Father, I pray for people today who may not know you at all. And I pray today would be the day they surrender their life to you. Surrender their life to you, Lord. God, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for what you do. We thank you for the calling on our lives. And we give you the glory. It's in Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen. If you need prayer, or if you want to give your life to Jesus, that prayer team will be over here. If you've surrendered your life to Christ today, I want to encourage you to text the word LIFE to 63566. And then just really quick before I let you go, uh, we want to let you know that on October 8th, we are starting a brand new series called Blessed. It's actually like this. This card is not upside down. It is correct, even though I keep wanting to do this. This is going to be a powerful series on what's called the Beatitudes. It's eight values that Jesus lays out as a pathway to a truly blessed life. And I wanna encourage you to please grab some of these cards on your way out of the building. Invite people to join you. As disciples of Jesus, go and share, right? This is an easy way to do that. So thank you, church, for being here this morning. We love you. God loves you. Go and be his church, and we will see you next week.